an assassination attempt against the sitting Supreme Court justices bill, plus a conversation with Punchbowl's John Bresnahan with the gun policy debate in the Senate. That and more on this episode of the Weekly Reload Podcast. I made the devil run. I gave him poison just for fun. All right. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Weekly Reload Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Gatowski. I'm also the founder of TheReload.com, where you can head over and check out our membership options today if you want to get exclusive early access to this here podcast and the opportunity to appear on the show in a member segment, uh, as well as access to hundreds of members-only pieces of uh, that focus on an analysis of firearms policy and politics. This week, we have uh, a great guest who's been on the Hill reporting for uh, decades now, John Bresnahan from Punchbowl News. He's a co-founder over there. It's a relatively new and exciting publication that's had a lot of great traction. Uh, Welcome to the show, John. Thanks for joining us. All right. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Um, So, you know, there's been a a lot of news out of the Hill lately. Uh, on guns because um, the reaction to the Uvalde shooting uh, has generated some real bipartisan talks on potential legislation that we haven't seen in, I mean, really probably since Sandy Hook, right, 2013. Uh, so what what have you been hearing uh, the overall uh, state of play is right now? What, how close are they to a deal? On the Senate side and the House, of course, passed a bunch of gun bills, including today. They passed a uh, a, a national red flag, flag law today in the House. So that's not going anywhere in the Senate. On the Senate side, there's been a group of about 10, 11 senators talking from both parties, talking uh, about a series of gun laws, uh, new gun laws, new gun programs, Um this is led by, on, on the Republican side, it's led by John Cornyn of Texas. On the Democratic side, it's led by Chris Murphy of Connecticut. And then there's a core, kind of what we're calling a core four group. There's Kirsten Sinema from Arizona, a Democrat from Arizona. She's part of this group. And Tom Tillis of North Carolina. So those four are basically the core. And then there's a larger group that they are working with as well. And this is kind of what we do in the Senate now. We do gangs, you know, the, the community right. process is not really effective as much anymore. So they do gangs. Senators come together from both parties if they're interested in an issue. So this, but it's really, it's really uh, uh, Murphy and Cornyn leading it. Uh, Murphy, of course, has been, you know, one of the leading uh, gun control advocates mm-hmm. for uh, since Sandy Hook. Um and, you know, he's big on this issue. Cornyn, of course, has, you know, long history on guns, uh, on gun rights issues, you know, going back to his days in the, in the state of Texas. Um, so, you know, he has pushed on, you know, suppressors. He's pushed on, you know, uh, 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 reciprocity on, on, on um, concealed carry concealed reciprocity. Carry, yeah, yeah he's, so he's pushed on this issue. So, you know, when he did the last round of any kind of real gun legislation they did in 2018 they did some enhance, enhancements to nicks uh the the nationally yeah, fix uh, nicks fix nicks legislation so but on this legislation they're talking you know I, it, it's hard to say i you know you and i were chatting before we, we started i mean i go back like you said i've been doing this i've been on the hill every day since 94 i first started coming up on 92 I mean, I go back to Columbine. I go back to, you know, the debates after that. I go back to, you know, the assault weapons ban in 94. Yep. So, you know, 
But since that time, you know, Congress, despite a number of, uh, you know, attempts, there's been very little, there's been very little actual uh, legislation at all on guns, you know, the last one being fixed next. So, you know, uh, like you said, after after Sandy Hook, you know, there was there was Mansion uh, Toomey bill, uh, and there was a lot of debate on that. I actually got on the floor, and there was a debate. It got through the Judiciary Committee, but it didn't get the sixty votes it needed. It only picked up four Republican votes. Right. Uh, so since this is the biggest, this is the biggest push since then, definitely in a decade to get some kind of gun legislation, the bipartisan gun legislation that both sides can agree on. Do you think that it's going to even get that far as Manchin Toomey did with an actual written bill that they vote on? What's your feeling right now? I do think they will. Look, I I, I mean, it's a good question. If they I do think they'll draft something. You know, they're trying to come with the framework, quote unquote, by today. I don't think that's going to happen. Or if they do, it'd be very tentative and very fluid and, and, you know, um, you know, it's just maybe, you know, agree to, you know, continue talking, that kind of stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. But they want to get, you know, and I was talking to Dick Durbin and said Judiciary Committee chairman yesterday about this, you know, Democrats feel strongly that, you know, there is momentum to do something, the time to do something is now. They would like to do something in the Senate before the, the Senate adjourns for the July 4th recess in a couple of weeks. They'd like to do it. This is the window that they'd like to do it. Momentum is there. I mean, everybody watched that hearing yesterday in the House, uh, uh, you know, with with the, the poor little girl from Uvalde and the parent. Yeah. I mean, it's just horrific. I mean, everyone, you can't possibly watch that and not say, you know, not be affected by it. So the, there is a lot of sentiment on both sides to do something. Again, I don't know if it'll come. I, you know, my my sense is, you know, <laughs> you know, the the. You know, I'll believe it when I see it. Let me put it that way. That's, uh, you know, when I I see a bill and they're like, okay, we're going to vote on it. I'm like, okay, well, then maybe I actually believe it. But up until that time, I I just have a hard time believing they're actually going to do something. Yeah, I mean, certainly there's a lot of incentive uh, to not do something, or at least uh, there's just such a wide gap between what Republicans and Democrats feel are the proper solutions to these sort of attacks, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, that it's hard to find a, a middle ground. Now there may there may be something uh, that they that they do come to an agreement on, and and I just I, I guess we should go through just real quick yeah. the what exactly they're really considering because from what I've heard and from what you know what some of the senators have said publicly, Cornyn, Tillis, um, uh, Graham, uh, Murphy, they're. And from what some of my sources are saying, uh, it seems that uh, adding juvenile criminal records to yeah. the background check system is one thing. I don't know if that no, I'm not aware of that. We can involved. dig into that a little further because that's it. There's that would be a big change to the to the federal justice system, justice system broadly, right. because there's a long tradition in this country. We don't use your juvenile record against you or we limit it. You know, there's been a big debate on that. For a right. Long. Yeah. I guess yeah. The, the, there's a lot in terms of the details of what yeah, that I would, mean. The, and the, yeah, right. Some states yeah. add some juvenile records some and, and if they're serious don't. enough. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. I guess there's, I would imagine that's something that's going to be very complicated to get through there, I think that would, if, if they can, yeah. but yeah, but that's something Tillis has mentioned explicitly. That has been there, there, Jeff, that is on the table. The other half, the other big piece of this would be, uh, um, you know, a red flag law, uh, or, but mainly it's going to be incentivizing the states to do something else. I believe it's 19 right. states in the district of Columbia have red flag laws in, in place. They went on to incentivize the state. Now, the House passed a national red flag law today. That's yeah. not going to go. That's not going to pass in the Senate. So that's very different. Yeah. Yeah. That, that would allow federal courts to issue these uh, temporary restraining orders that right. seize people's guns with, instead of state courts. That's not going to happen in this in the Senate. So right. what they and Blumenthal and uh, Blumenthal has worked a lot on this issue with Lindsey Graham on the national uh, on a red flag program and an incentivizing program. Uh, another big piece is mental health uh, funding. What they they're now they're talking about. There was there's a a a bill or a program actually in place already. It was set up uh, by a, a bill by Senator Ward Blunt of Missouri and Debbie Stabenow of Michigan. This operates in thirty, I believe it's in thirty one states already. They would expand that to cover all fifty states. Um, we're talking. Roughly seven billion dollars over over ten years, so seven hundred million dollars. Uh, some of this would have to be offset. That's a pretty significant amount of money. I mean, it's you know, it's, I mean, it's not huge in terms of a multi-trillion-dollar federal budget, but it's a significant right. amount of money. So that's a that's a big piece uh, of that. And that one seems that seems like something that would be less controversial. Uh, although I do wonder, you know, so there's those three things. And then I guess uh, what about Grassley's uh, Eagles Act, where it's the the this Secret Service Threat Assessment Center being used for school shooting assessments? I haven't heard that specifically. I know Grassley is pushing on that. I know other Republicans are pushing on that. They do. They are talking about school security issue. I think that would be something if they did take that bill and put it into this package that would attract support from the Republican side, which is, I think, what you need. Um, and right. I think one thing to really watch here is, and I, and honestly, I see some of the coverage and I think people have to be careful that I don't think the threshold is 60 here for Cornyn because I, you know, yeah, he needs 10 Republican votes, but I really, right. think he wants right, a majority of the caucus. I right? do. He really feels, they feel strongly about this. I mean, this is a guy who wants to be leader. He wants to be Republican leader down the road. And he, and, and we talked. This is a guy who is an expert on this issue. He's an expert on gun policy. He cares very deeply about this on a personal level. He's concerned about the Second Amendment issue on this. And he's concerned about, you know, that if you look at the Senate Republican Conference, there's Mitch McConnell, he stands alone, but he's also 80 years old. And, you know, there's guys who want to succeed him. Cornyn's one of them. The other is John Thune, who's in re-election this year. And then there's uh, John Thune of South Dakota, the, the minority whip. And then there's John Barrasso of Wyoming. Now, Barrasso is the number three Senate Republican. He's not, I don't care what it is. Barrasso is not going to be for any gun bill. He's not going to vote. So this is an issue for Cornyn. And the thing now is where does Thune go? Would Thune be on any kind of, uh, kind of deal? Um, Thune's in re-election. Now he's gone through his primary, but he's in re-election. So it would, I would think they would want to get Thune on board. So I think they're going to have to, 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 to get this through this, to kind of thread this needle, if you would, is going to be difficult. It's going to be difficult yeah. on the Republican side. Yeah. 
Hasn't hasn't that been a rule for McConnell that uh, putting up bills for a vote, you have to have a majority of the Republican caucus back when he was uh, the majority leader? Yeah, I mean, it depends on the issue. Look, he didn't on debt ceiling, for instance. He That was a big, that was a huge issue. And that was an issue he felt strongly about. They didn't on the infrastructure bill. They got a bunch of bill, but they didn't get a majority. But I think it's, you know, I think in this case, this is Cornyn is kind of driving this on policy wise. And I think the politics mm. of this are very particular for Cornyn. And I do think... Cornyn doesn't, you know, every Republican is concerned about this issue and, and, and where they stand on this issue, where they're seen nationally on it. Because gun rights groups, let's, you deal with them all the time. I've dealt with them for a long time. The gun rights groups and the people who, are, who, who lobby on this issue or are advocates on this issue, they're very, they don't mess around. They are. They take this very, very, very seriously. This is not an. This is not an issue where you can. You can. You uh, any Republican has to be pretty careful on this issue because these groups and the people who are you know and that you're you talk to that your audience, they're pretty serious on this issue and they're zealous about this issue. So you know, I mean, this is you know he's concerned. I think about getting out on a limb and not having. And, and, you know, maybe he passes a bill here, but in the long term, it impacts his own future. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, one more, just on the specific policy aspects, right. one one more thought is, uh, so part of this House package, kind of the only part that got any real bipartisan support was this, uh, uh, basically a report from DOJ on the, the background check system and who, the demographics of people who get denied when they go to to right. try and buy a gun. Um, do you think that's, I, got, haven't I mean, heard that, that, that got almost very, a lot of support in the house. I, I, yeah, else I haven't was. heard that. I, I, that could very well be part of that, that I know that has been raised by at least one Senator, but I have not heard that included in that packet. The other thing that has been talked about and was in the house package was raising the age of buying a semi-automatic rifle. Uh, so yeah. it's, I don't think it would go anywhere in the Senate. Corner doesn't support it, but there is a surprising amount of support on the Republican side, at least to look at it. I mean, I've kind of really? surprised. Well, I've been surprised. You know, Lisa Murkowski, you know, Joni, Joni Ernst, you know, said she'd look at it. That doesn't say she'd support it, but she'd look at it. So, you know, I was hmm. kind of surprised. McConnell indicated he would kind of be open to that, you know. I just think that there. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't think that'll be part of it. But I do think that that you know it's definitely been under discussion. I don't. I don't. That is the. That's the new wrinkle this time around. I guess is the, as far as policy suggestions go. Is instead of banning AR-15s outright for everyone, the the suggestion now is to raise the age of when people can can buy them, similar to how we treat handguns. Uh, this was something that Florida did after right. Parkland. Um, and so, you know, there had, it's not unprecedented for Republicans yeah. to support a policy like no, that. No, and then in, in, in the case of both hard. the Buffalo and the Uvalde shooters were teenagers. So, right. you know, uh, alleged, uh, you know, alleged shooters, they're teenagers. And there, so I think there is, I mean, I'm not saying it's there. I mean, it's saying it's, under, I was surprised a little bit. I thought, this would never go anywhere in the Senate Republican Conference. I'm not saying it will, but I'm kind of surprised that there's been more openness 
to it than I thought. I, I don't think this would be in any final package if that ever comes together. But I mean, it's definitely has been on the table. McConnell. That's interesting. McConnell signaling that he was open to it a little bit. That was interesting to me. Yeah. Cornyn is not. Cornyn does not want. Cornyn yeah. is not interested in this at all. I don't see it. I don't see it. I don't see it either, But I was just kind of surprised. I was a little surprised about that. Yeah, I mean, I think that's uh, something that people would be surprised that Florida passed. Yeah. You know, oh, Florida's yeah. a red state and becoming yeah. more red, uh, probably yeah. even more red than it was back in oh, 2018 yeah. when it passed those reforms. Oh, yeah. But, uh, you know, that, that was something that we talked about here at the Reload, where, like, what are the possible reactions? Well, Texas is politically similar to Florida in a lot of ways. Maybe it'll do uh, the red flag law and the age restrictions that, Florida passed after Parkland, although it seems that's not getting anywhere in Texas at this point. And, um, but uh, it is a new wrinkle. It's a new wrinkle. This is something that's a little bit different policy variation from what we usually the debate is, uh, as you know well, over universal universal background checks and assault weapons bans, total bans on sales, and and then a sub debate over whether they should try to a mandatory buyback or not, uh, your confiscation. But well, but now the debate. I do think the age thing is that's kind of morphed into the the background checks looking at juveniles and I, yeah because they're in there's clearly seems it sounds like from what I'm reading and I haven't reported this myself. From the Uvalde shooter, there was there was a lot. There was there certainly seems to be some evidence of, uh, of disturbing behavior. Uh, yeah, that, although I haven't seen any reporting. Right. I wonder if you've seen any because yeah, this issue started percolating. Yeah. Like Tillis was talking about yeah. the juvenile uh, records right. making it into the background check system, uh, and I, I I've been wondering if there's actual reporting that there were any disqualifying. Ju- records and in, in his, his you know juvenile records for the shooter. I don't I don't think anyone ever I took any action that. against him. He passed a background check, so you know he was. Yeah, he did, but I don't think it was weapons. Yeah, right. Yeah, I don't I don't think it was because the yeah. he had some disqualifying record that wasn't included. I think that mainly you know the incidents that you're hearing about, you know the the animal abuse, the threats against women. I believe he was, that, he was a school but, dropout or something also, and that they, mm-hmm. you know, and that there was some there was some. I, I and again, I'm just stories that there was some talk of he had, I can believe he had sent pictures of weapons to people, right? To women, and, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'd say, yeah, there they were certainly disturbing about, behavior, yeah, but that's different nothing, from having a disqualifying record. Nope, no, yeah, no, that, no, that's where I'm, right, yeah, that's where I've been a little bit confused as to why this particular issue has suddenly bubbled up. Because uh, I don't know that either one of these guys had a disqualifying criminal record and that was uh excluded because they were juveniles now that doesn't you know uh, it doesn't mean that it's something that shouldn't get talked about or whatever but but i i just don't know that it's directly connected to this case right Um, and so i've been a little bit surprised at how much traction it's got yeah Uh, but but i guess the i would ask you just a bigger picture question here uh and it deals more with that we've talked a lot about the republicans right because that's going to be the biggest challenge is getting Republicans on board with yeah. with uh, any sort of gun reform bill, uh, given the you know the the their solutions for mass shootings tend to focus on mental health and and um, you know school security and, and so yeah. forth. But but uh, Democrats, I wonder you know some of these things are probably broadly popular: the mental health program, yeah. school security. 
But I don't like would Democrats in the Senate actually accept a deal that doesn't include some sort of gun restriction or gun reform? You know, we talk. Like, is that really possible? Yeah, we no, no. We you know, I, we did something on this yesterday because I went and talked to some of the big progressives, I mean, the, the most liberal Democrats. I, you know, we talked to Sanders, we talked to Warren. You know, we we talked to uh, Maisie Hirono. You know, we talked to Sherrod Brown. You know, real progressives and uh, real liberal Democrats. And you know what? They would take it. They would take it at this point. I I think I do think there is a sense. And I think this is, you know, that, um, and I think this goes back to a broader sense about the Senate itself. And you saw it, I think, in the infrastructure bill. And I think it goes into the same thing here. And you, I think you're seeing it kind of on the Electoral College Act and some of this other stuff is like, look, the Senate has to function some way. Yes, we, it, it, the Senate has been so bad. It got, it got very bad under Harry Reid and McConnell. Nothing happened, you know. Um, and then it, you know, it's there's been some progress in the last year and a half. They passed a major infrastructure bill that had been hung up for years. So they've been able to do some things together in a bipartisan way. I think there's a sense that, look, they 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 have to show to the American public that, you know, yeah, they're not gonna get, there's not gonna be universal background checks. That's not gonna happen. There's not gonna be an assault weapons ban. It's not going to happen. There's, it, I don't think it could pass the House, and that's a Democratic-run House. Forget about no, that. No, it certainly doesn't look like it. No, Mario, it we'll talk more about that in a minute. Yeah, but, but yeah. So uh, there's zero chance it'll get through the Senate. So I think there there is a realism among Senate Democrats, even the most liberal Senate Democrats, say, "Look, I mean, I had a long talk with Warren about this. We'll take anything right now. Anything is better than nothing." And I do think there's a sense that, you know. After Sandy Hook, there was a tremendous amount of emotion, I, you know, the, the, and, and, and nothing happened, nothing changed. And I do think there is, I do think, and you, you talked about this, I do think there's a tremendous, I wouldn't underestimate this. This is, there's an, there's a lot of emotion here, uh, you know, about this, the, the, this is, you know, I think everyone's worried about gun violence as it is. And this is, you know, the victims here are so, it's so horrific. And and, and in Buffalo, it's so horrific and it's racially motivated. And it's, you know, and, it, it, and that the, I do think it goes back and also, it, it, I hate to say it this way, but we have two 18 year olds, you know, what, what kind of, what's wrong with the country right now? And I think their feeling is that We've got to do something. We've got, and I, and I feel this in both parties, we've got to do something. It is not going, no one is going to be happy with it. That's what, you know, what, what comes out of this compromise. No one will be saying, well, you know, that's, you know, we were, we're done on this issue. We'll never talk about it again. It's not there. But I do think that's the nature of compromise, okay? I mean, we have, you know, like there are, there, you know, there's a reason 19 states have red flag laws, you know, and including Florida. I mean, there is clearly, you know, there clearly is some, you know, strong support in law enforcement for, for you know, the, the law enforcement organizations, you know, uh, police groups to say, look, we, we do have to be able to have families or law enforcement be able to intervene in some of these cases that just it just it benefits society so i do think there's a sense that we've got to do something and i do think it's both sides and i do think the the liberal democrats i think they're realistic 
about this. And they do, and I do think a lot of it is Murphy himself on their side because they trust Chris Murphy because they know he really does care about this issue. And I do think yeah. on the other side, Cornyn has kind of that same cred with Republicans. They know he's not, you know, he cares about gun rights and he would, you know, in anything, if John Cornyn signs off on it, it's going to be a reasonable piece of legislation, I would feel. And I do feel that kind of it, it play on both sides. Yeah, I guess my my thought on it is just uh, when it comes to, you know, the refrain of, of do something, which yeah. is, you know, obviously what we hear oftentimes in, in the wake of these shootings, usually Democrats mean do something to restrict firearms. And so I, I wonder if they'll like, you know, I could certainly see a, a package that includes school security measures and uh, the mental health component that you, we described earlier having very broad support in passing the Senate. But if it doesn't include something like the red flag uh, grant bill or the juvenile criminal records, uh, you know, expansion for for background checks, uh, I just wonder if Democrats would accept that. um, No, they they wouldn't accept that. Yeah, that's what I mean. I do think there has to be something... I think it's a good point. There has to be something on gun policy. I do think there has yeah. to be, it can't be just societal, you know, the, the, you know, a mental as, as important as mental health funding is, it can't, that's not going to be the full solution or any real solution to guns. I don't think they could go to some of the uh, gun control groups, every town and all and say, this is what we've got. Those, I, I think yeah. those groups would, flip out and yeah that's 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 the issue i think that i'm seeing with any sort of deal is like yeah i could see those two components being very popular and getting through if they were standalone or or packaged together by themselves but it'll be the harder part is getting agreement on the maybe the juvenile i mean the juvenile records thing seems like a like it's more complex in terms of I'm sure every state has a different standard for how they deal with juvenile criminal records. And I, um, I listen, I do think that the the the, the, the uh, social justice groups, I yeah. do think it, I I do think they you know if it goes too far the other way, I think they'll wade into this. I mean, I yeah, I, you know, sure. So, and I you know when I do, I mean, like as we mentioned, we have a long history of not of trying as a society as a country, and I say, look, the, the you, you know this. Barring serious felonies, that the sins that you committed as a teenager, as a young person, shouldn't be, you know, disqualify you for the rest of your life from, you know, right. That's that we're not talking about murder or something along those lines. Sure. This was a good big debate going back to you know the eighties and nineties. Is you know, do we throw thirteen year olds in jail? Do we, you know, uh, what did I see? I saw the video of some twelve year old or something trying to hold up a store the other day, you know, mm-hmm. armed, he was armed, you know, so, yeah. you know, do we hold, I mean, but we as a society, we have made a decision. We generally, barring main, minor, major felonies, we we don't hold the sins that you committed as a teenager against you. So I do think this is, like you said, this is a very complex issue and, you know. I think that one's complex, but I think it's an easier lift. Yeah than uh, even the red flag bill, just because it deals with at least uh, very serious crimes committed by juveniles. I'm sure that, you know, Tillis, at least from what Tillis, obviously 
you have to read the t- whatever text yeah. comes out will be extremely important to scrutinize and very it, closely. And the other, and the other thing things. is here, as much as will you see what senators say, senators are always more optimistic than staff because staff right. has to get in there and right. draft the stuff and see, you know, what's the precedent? What's, you know, what's the states? Where are the states on this position? What would this do to state law? We change this at the federal level. What does that mean? What does that mean? You know, what's a, what's a court going to look like? Or, or, you know, how are we going to explain this in legislative language in a way, you know, yeah. that, that they don't have to come back in, in two years and, re, you know, fix it. So, you know, I mean, staff is always much more wary about like, yeah, you know, members, you know, they're talking broad brushes. Yeah, we have a deal, but, you know, it matters. On As we said, especially on something like gun rights policy, this matter details matter they are yes yeah, important yeah and i yeah i had a staffer tell me um <laughs> they're talking i was asking about the the realist the the realism of like a friday deadline to come yeah, up with yeah, a, yeah. a framework and and they told me uh that the senators tend to be more optimistic yeah, yeah, <laughs> is, to put it nicely about yeah. uh, how those things turn out than staff does so, yeah because they gotta um, actually draft it yeah right but to me, it seems like the, at least when you're talking about inclusion of juvenile records, you're talking about somebody who's actually been convicted of some sort of crime, presumably a very serious one. It would have to be some serious crime of Right. Violence. And probably more than just yeah. any regular, yeah. fel- like, yeah. low-level violent felony. Yeah. Like, a, a, for instance, a fight. high school. Right. A high school nine, fight. Yeah, exactly. Should okay, that disqualify you from... Yeah. Yeah. We work in dime is Second Amendment rights as an adult, you know, forever for their whole forever. life. Forever. Exactly. How long does it? Is it 10 years? Is it 20 years? Is it five years? Do they have to go? So, through, you know, yeah, they'll, they'll have to. Very complicated. And maybe they can come up with some sort of expungement standard or something. But, you know, it's, it's there. I could see it being the details on that one being very complicated. Very difficult. To me, the, the red flag law is more of a known standard in the sense that, like, at this point, it, it it almost feels as though all the states that want to pass that policy have, maybe have already done so. Um, and so, I you know, I guess that's one of the appeals of doing the grant bill yeah. instead of a national red flag law, because basically it's, it's sort of the Senate, the, the federal government is just saying, you can do this if you want, we'll give you some money to do it. Um, but we're not forcing you. And so that makes it a little less controversial, but red flag laws are pretty well, it's starting to become a more entrenched position like the Sullivan's ban or universal background checks where uh, there's, there's a lot of sustained opposition from gun rights advocates over the details of how red flag laws work. um, And, and some of the concerns over, you know, the, who can issue the red flag laws, what standard of evidence is required for the, that initial, uh, order and then what standards required for the extension of the order are judges going to just rubber stamp every red flag law that comes across their desk out of a sense of caution you know there's a lot of right exactly who which judge want to be you know i i didn't grant a petition and right. you know the guy went out and shot a bunch of people at the mall you know god i mean god forbid you know I mean, and I was reading, I don't know, have you read through the 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 uh, the uh, uh, McBath bill at all, the McBath Carbajal bill that come back, you know, I'm sure you have. And they were talking about the CBO, and the CBO was the Congressional Budget Office, which I, I don't even know how they came up with this number. It feels to me like darted, you know, throwing a dart at a door board. They're talking about, like, 
10,000 petitions a year annually if this bill was, if you read the report, if you read the actual report yeah. of the Judiciary Committee, and I'm like, how the hell did you come up with that number? You know, That seems really low. That, that, I, you know, I felt the same way because, and, and, but I do think they were, they do, if you read the bill, they, they were serious about also frivolous claims and, sure. you know, That's another thing you know, an ex-wife trying to say, you know, listen, my ex is, he's crazy. He's, you know, and he's got a 45 and he's going to go shoot up, you know, I mean, because we do, we do see that in relationships. There are claims, some dramatic claims made. I'm not saying everyone is, but, you know, they're, 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 you know, the passion of a breakup or something, you know, people say things, but people do do things and breakups also. So, um, Look, I do, I was like, how the hell did they come up with that number? It just seems to me just like eh, ten thousand, you know. Yeah, um, I mean, that that yeah. happens sometimes with those kinds yeah. of estimates, you know. But it's I just um, I wonder on a policy like that, which has fairly broad support. I think Quinnipiac put it at seventy seven yeah. percent in the, their latest poll. Um, still lower than universal background yeah. checks, which also can't pass. So that that's the thing about it. It's like even if it polls really well because of the nature of gun policy making in this country, you tend to have the people who care most about the issue uh, being more opposed to restrictions. Yeah. And, and that uh, it seems at least to have, would be one of the reasons why like something, you know, universal background checks might, might pull it. I think the Quinnipiac poll had it at 92%. Yeah. Um, but even, uh, you know, obviously it, it doesn't pass at the national level. And even when it's put up for a ballot uh, initiative with direct vote by voters, uh, you know, it doesn't always pass there and it, and it always wildly underperforms its polling. You can look yeah. at um, obviously Nevada and Maine had ballot yeah. initiatives on universal background checks yeah. in 2016 and Nevada's passed, but only just barely and yeah. underperformed their polling by, you know, 20, 30 points. Right. Same thing in Maine, except it didn't pass in Maine. And that right. was even in the same election, the same ballot that Hillary Clinton won right. uh, against Donald Trump. So, you know, there's a that's sort of what you one of the problems you face when you get into like the polling. There was a good piece by um, over in The New York Times with the upshot uh, about this sort of yeah. reality yeah. of the polling versus voting. Yeah, I mean, because I think everybody said, oh, we should, you know, look. You, you know, you have to have a license when you get a gun or a car. Why wouldn't you have a license? You know, why wouldn't sure. you have, but you know, anybody should get, but like you said, getting, you know, the actual legislation when it gets down to the state level and citizens see how they would be or could be impacted by it. You know, I do think that becomes a whole different, the do you think that's the reality. Yeah. Is that something like, how does the hilt, is that like, <laughs> How how does that really affect the senators? That like, do they see it that way? Do they notice this difference between polling? Like, obviously, yeah. if ninety two percent of people support universal background checks and uh, Republicans block a bill that would put the, make that into law, but then they don't face any electoral consequences for doing that, do they notice that? Right? I mean, oh, is yeah. That, oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, senators know that, and I do think this is. I I do think. And I think that's a good point. I think this plays into actually writing this bill. If they do do a bill, if there is a Senate bipartisan bill, how do you actually write it? Because this is, you know, again, well, yeah, let's make sure, you know, 
kids, uh, young people who had uh, dangerous records as juveniles. Let's make sure they don't, you know, there's some kind of, you know, waiting period or some, they go through a longer, you know, their, their background check could be as long as two weeks or 10 days or something like that, more, more scrutiny for a younger person. I mean, how do you actually do that? How do you actually make that work? And I think that's a good point. Uh, and then as far as, uh, you know, one thing that's interesting about all this is that you can look at what the House has done. It's controlled by Democrats. And obviously the House is operates very differently from the Senate uh, in that you, there's no filibuster. You don't need right. the House 60, is the dictatorship. Need, yes, right. Yeah, you, you don't need 60% uh, of people to approve every bill. Uh, so you can just pass everything along party lines whenever you want to, if you have the votes for it in your own party, right? But you look at the gun package that just went through, and they, they either there's for the final bill for those seven reforms that they passed, they got exactly 218 Democrats to vote for it. They got you know five Republicans who also came over, yeah. but that's very, very close. Now that you know they don't have a huge majority to no, begin with. They only have a five seat margin right now as it is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But, but so like, right. I mean, you Let's look at some no, of those. that is not, you know, that is not, that is there, that is not a real bipartisan consensus. You could call it bipartisan, but that is not, I mean, that's right. Know, it's like, it's, it's, you know, look, there are members who are in cycle and they thought it would, you know, and, and look, I, I'm not going to underestimate their own concern about this issue. It's a very serious issue and their own sure. feelings about this issue, but there is, you know, I mean, you look at who voted for it on the Republican side, you know, it's... It, well, it, it, four of the five aren't running for re-election. Yeah, <laughs> so exactly. Fitzpatrick's so, the only yeah. one. And, and he's been, and he's had a long it. history. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, so, you know... For gun control. Yeah, and from New York City, right. You know, from... A, from well, he's from Pennsylvania, know. but yeah. Um, I'm sorry. Near, Phil right, yeah. near Philadelphia. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, but um, uh, but but what I, I guess my point, uh, the, what, I, what I wanted to get at with that is... Uh, um, so they passed this package and uh, this is where Democrats can do whatever they're effectively, whatever they want uh, as a party. In House the House. And, and what they passed were things that uh, aren't what the president supports. Not, not that he doesn't support what they passed, but not a lot of the biggest ticket items that he wants. There was no assault weapons ban. Uh, there's no repeal of the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act, which the president president has literally said that he prays to God. That's the number one thing he wants to get rid of when it comes to guns. It's a very interesting, I mean, it's it shows you that he really cares about the feet. issue. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, he yeah. says it all the time yeah. and it's, and it gives you, it's a tell that he actually is deeply involved in the issue because that's not something I think a lot of people even have ever heard of before. Uh, it certainly doesn't have the same level of notoriety as an assault weapons ban or universal background checks, but, uh, but you know, the, and there isn't even a well. They already passed the universal background check bill yeah. uh, earlier, but but uh, you know, so the, the, it's interesting to see what they actually are able to get through, and chiefly that they aren't able to get an assault weapons ban through. Now, yeah. I, I know that they Pelosi has promised a markup on the assault weapons ban, yeah. but my reading is unless they're doing that vote um, today or tomorrow, they're probably never going to vote on that bill, right? I don't know. It's funny because I, when she said it, I don't think our staff was fully ready for it because then I actually wrote the other day, vote on a mark, a vote on a assault weapons ban because she said markup and markup is a vote. And then they had, they actually yelled at me um, saying, oh, you know, the staff yelled at me. 
Yeah. I was like, well, Pelosi said it. You know, she said markup. Right. Well, they, she meant hearing. She meant hearing. She yeah. Didn't. But she said markup, and a markup is a vote. So, you know, we went round and round on it. But, you know, I don't think right now they could pass an assault weapons ban in the House. I don't. No, I, I mean, I look at the. Look at the magazine ban that was part of the this package. Yeah. They barely got that through. Barely it was what two twenty. Yeah. So and they needed Republicans for it. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know. They, could they get an assault weapons ban through the House? Like, it doesn't not feel like, and it's which is remarkable. Enough, I, they would get. I, I'm not sure. I, I think probably would get all fifty Senate Democrats, but maybe not. I'm not. I'm not sure. I mean, look, it's you know I'm not. Does Tester vote for it? Maybe, you know, Manchin. I don't think Tester votes for a solvent spot. I I don't know. I don't know what he does. You know, is is he running for re-election? Because if he isn't, maybe he votes for it. You know, uh, I assume he is, but, you know, otherwise. Everything that. I don't know. I don't know if they could get, like, your point is, they couldn't get 218 Democrats for it in the House. I don't think they could get 50 in the Senate either. I don't think they could either. And you definitely I mean, I couldn't. Get, I don't think you get a single Republican. Yeah, we're nowhere near assault weapons ban. I will and, say, and that if I, you look at that Quinnipiac poll too, uh, that found support for assault weapons ban, and this is after the Uvalde shooting, right? Is only at fifty percent, which is the lowest it's been since twenty thirteen. Is that right? Is that, uh, since they were doing that, that. I didn't realize it, and it's the lowest in a decade, right? Yeah, um, which is crazy. I would do. Usually, I, and this is, I do have a question for you, though, and, and because I am a Hill rat, I'm up here all the time, and I'm in the bubble of the Congress. Uh, it seems to me, and you've written a tremendous amount on the NRA and the reload, and which, are, which we, and the future of the NRA, and and kind of feels like the narrow base of the NRA now. You know, yeah, the the legacy of the NRA, especially for Democrats. Two points. Legacy, the NRA for, for Democrats is still everything, whereas for the gun rights movement, it's not, it feels like, at least what I can tell. But for Democrats, the NRA is behind every rock, you know, right. every tree, every rock, everything you see the NRA everywhere. And it's, it, it doesn't feel like it is nationally. But to me, I do think, and, and this is kind of what I want your take on, I do think some of the messaging not to it just feels like some of the messaging on for the gun rights movement is i don't know how it's just really flat and and ineffective right now the good guy with the gun thing that is just you know that just that seems to me just you know uh, you know out of date and you know they're also like the whole thing that they're going to you know take guns from law-abiding citizens i mean i, I that is where they immediately go democrats are going to come for your guns and that's where they immediately mm-hmm. go for and and that I, I think it still resonates with a certain point of the gun rights movement but i think broadly generally to the public we we know the reality is no one's taking anybody's guns away from anybody I mean, well it's you know it's interesting we buy 20 million guns a year I mean, right. you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, we're not nobody's coming to take your gun, and that's just that's just what's reported, right? That, that's you uh-huh. know, I don't know, you know, so like, I mean, we've sold forty million well, guns in the last two years, right? Yeah. Uh, right, yeah, no, I, yeah, from a certainly from a practical standpoint, mass confiscation yeah. is not realistic in right. the United States. There are over at this point, you know, the latest small arms survey said 
this from 2018, which found there yeah. were like 390 million yeah, plus million guns, guns, more yeah, guns than people. Right. Uh, so there's probably significantly more than those than that right. now um, after, you know, the big buying spree we've right. seen over the last couple of years. But uh, so from a practical standpoint, there, <laughs> Americans own uh, three times as many guns. American civilians uh, have three times as many small arms, you know, firearms as the entire world's militaries combined. <laughs> I didn't um, realize it was, I knew that, yes. I knew we outnumbered. I didn't realize it was three times. Yeah. We have, uh, wow. yeah. Yeah. The, the world's militaries have about 133 million small arms combined. All of them. Right. Um, right. Americans own about 400 times as many firearms as our entire law enforcement community does in right. this country. Right. Um, so, you know, just to give you some basic context, I think if people hear that number and they think, oh, we have a lot of guns, but they don't understand the context is, is we have a, way more guns than you could ever realistically try to round up. Even if yeah. you, even if it was just AR-15s, right? The industry estimates yeah. 18 million of those. Right. That's, uh, you know, so if you got rid of 90% of them, uh, people, let's just say 90% of uh, the, the ARs out there, people were willingly going to turn, turn it and destroy in, themselves. Buy back for um, yeah. You'd still have twice as many ARs in circulation among civilians than the entire arsenal of the entire law enforcement community in the country so you know just to give you and and no confiscation has ever been anywhere near no. that that successful even no. in other countries like australia or new zealand no um we're going to see how canada handles right. their confiscation they're, they're, efforts not going so well to this point but right. anyway um I, I will say that uh when it comes to we're in an interesting place right because as democrats nationally have become uh, at least not necessarily rhetorically less uh, um, forceful on, on gun uh, restrictions or uh, but less practically able to pass the things that they've right. long talked about. Um, you have seen a number of candidates uh, move in the opposite direction and outright say they want to confiscate firearms. That's Beto O'Rourke's position yeah. that he yeah. still holds as he's running for Texas governor. Um, even Kamala Harris, the vice president, agreed with Eric Swalwell in, in that she wants a mandatory buyback of uh, assault weapons, so-called assault weapons. So there is this. Uh, I, I understand what you what you mean as far I'm, as you like, know, I'm just kind of. It's not being, practical, but I'm just seeing from a guy who I'm so in the bubble. It's hard for me to see sometimes. Like, yeah. Is the national message from gun rights groups evolving? I will. Non, I will say becoming more sophisticated. Yeah, yeah I, I will say that you look at the NRA, I went to the convention, right. and their response to Valde was basically just repeating the same exact yeah. response that they had to Sandy Hook. And obviously, they're, they're, they as an organization are far weaker than they were even just three years ago, if you look at their revenue, their membership, their spending. Um, so the NRA as an entity is much less powerful. I'm actually, we should probably do another episode where we talk maybe about the uh, uh, what you're seeing on influence on the inner on the hill, but because right. um, we're running out oh of my time, God. unfortunately. Back in, yeah, but, back in the day was tremendous. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. And today, I imagine it's not, probably not the same level. No, back in the day, an NRA bulletin was like that was amazing, and you could move probably fifty to seventy-five Democratic votes back in the day mm-hmm. in the nineties. Yeah, I but they become. I remember, much I remember more... when John Dingle beat the gun locks bill. He and Delay, following Columbine, they had three hundred votes against that. You know, right. I mean, there was there was yeah. huge majorities against that. Yeah. And some of that is uh, the polarization of the 
of the NRA, but also some of that is probably the polarization of the parties themselves. Absolutely. Uh, and which is driving which, I think, is a very yeah. interesting question. But, but uh, you know, one thing to notice is that it's the NRA is not the be all and end all when it comes to the power of gun owners in the United States. And you'll see that the people blocking these uh, the assault weapons ban or, or you know, the president's first ATF right. director nominee, for instance, right. are not like. Right. Republicans with A plus ratings at right. the by the NRA, they're right. usually Democrats with D or F ratings right. from the NRA, and so uh, the right. influence of gun owners extends well beyond right. the influence of just the NRA. Though I will say that they are still a very important organization, and that right. I don't know of any other organization that has that level of influence on the Hill. When no, it comes I mean to DOA or none of those groups. They're not. They're not there. Gun Owners of America. They're, they're. I mean, there's important groups, but they're not. They're not the NRA. Or, not to the level of the NRA. No. That's the thing. No. So it's it's this interesting balance of like, yeah. the NRA is less powerful and yeah. not a be all and end all for guns, but they are still probably the most powerful gun yeah. related group on either side of the issue. And uh, they still get more legacy than anything. I'm just wondering yeah. if there is, if the messaging changes from the gun rights group. Does that change the policy down the road? I'm not talking now. I'm talking yeah. maybe 10, 15 years where there is maybe more, some more bipartisanship. Like if we maybe, get, but I haven't. They're not going to seize our guns, but maybe we should. You know, we are. This is America. This is who we are. We are a gun yeah. society. We are a gun owning society. It's mm-hmm. not going to change. It's been in our blood since the beginning of the republic. It's not going anywhere. Right. Maybe we can have more. Less. I just uh, from when you look at the gun rights movement uh, and the groups that have come up in the to fill some of the void left by the NRA's shrinking, I, I you don't see like a lot of uh, more moderate positions right. on gun policy Not being gonna taken. Exactly. If anything, it's probably the opposite. Uh, public you think in 10, 20 years that will still be the same way? I don't know. It's inter- what it will be most interesting, I think, is to watch these this new breed of gun owner, this yeah. new class yeah. of gun owner that's come up the last yeah, couple of years. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, who who are you know younger? Right. There's more minorities. There's more women. More affluent. Uh, there's more yeah. more. Yeah. yeah. And they live in more urban yeah. areas. Um, so, how, how will they change the gun debate? Uh, yeah. And my guess is actually that they'll make. Uh, Democrats are more gun friendly party uh, in the long run. That very, would be my thought. Very interesting. Yeah. But we'll have to see that. That's what I think that's the long term trend to watch. Yeah. But tell tell me before we end here, yeah, sir. tell me a little bit, tell everyone a little bit about Punchbowl. You guys are yeah. uh, you know, brand new, but you're, you're some of the top uh, Hill reporters out there uh, came together to start this new publication. Thank you very much. That's very kind of you. Yeah. So it's myself, Jake Sherman and Anna Palmer. We're three longtime colleagues. We were at Politico together. Uh, I basically raised them. They're my children. No, I knew, mm-hmm. I knew, like, I'm all, I'm the old guy. I've been on the Hill for 30 years. So, but I, you know, I work with them at Politico. They, um, I, I've sat in this, I basically sit next to Jake for the last 13, 14 years now. Um, we, we have covered a lot of stuff. We started, uh, uh, we left Politico. We started Punchbowl on January 3rd, 2021. And of course, three days later, there was the insurrection. So, you know, I mean, and then we covered the <laughs> impeachment and then we've covered this Democratic majority uh, that, you know, Biden's the early, you know, Biden's presidency and what's that evolving to and now going into midterm. We've been, you know, knock on wood, we've been really successful in, in uh, building an audience. 
we're trying to do a trying to do a little bit different. We're not gonna, you know, I'm not the Washington Post, I'm not the New York Times, I'm not gonna have a thousand reporters. I'm not, we're trying to build a community. I think this, you go through this. I we take a lot of interaction with our readers. We try to do lunch, brown bag lunches, we try to, you know, answer every email, answer text messages. I mean, like it can't just be, I think one of the problems that we've seen clearly and what the the, the with the media you know, it's fracturing in some ways, and I think that's good. And I think in the long run, I mean, like, it can't just be the New York Times jams a story down your throat, and this is what it is. Because the American public clearly ain't taking it, okay? The, the, mm-hmm. the status of the media is, is lower than it's ever been, especially in, in my career. And I think that's because we, you know, we sit back and say, you know, this is what's happening and you have to accept this is what the reality is. And you know what? The, the public is smart enough to know they have Facebook, they have social media, they have information. You talk about like gun rights owners and, 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 and gun control habits. They read the le- legislation now. They know what the hell is going on on bills. They, you know, they tell me, they look at this provision, you know. So I Absolutely. think there's a lot more information out there. I think people in a lot of ways, yes, they're, 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 they're more partisan. There is hyper-partisanship, but they do have information and they do have a point of view and they want it to be heard. And I think we're trying to hear them as much as we can. We're trying to have a conversation. We're not trying to just jam it down their throat. At them. And so where can people go to find more uh, reporting from, from Punchbowl? Because you guys do a lot of original reporting. It's, we do. It's we a lot of to, stuff you can't find elsewhere. No, we should know. Punchbowl.news is, uh, you can sign up. We have a free morning newsletter comes out at 6 a.m. every morning. That's uh, every day that'll give you our take on what's happening on the Hill. We're very Hill focused, very White House focused. Um, You know, I'm not going to be covering. uh, I'm going to be trying to cover the leadership and substantive issues. I'm not covering Twitter fights. I don't care. Mm -hmm. The members can have whatever damn Twitter fights they want. That's not my business. I'm trying to tell you what's happening today. And more importantly, the most important thing that any journalist can tell you, what's going to happen tomorrow or next week or next month. And that's what we're trying to do. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I recommend it. Uh, you guys do great reporting. And I really appreciate you taking the time to come I, on the show. It's been great. It's been I'm a big fan of the reload and I hope everybody reads it. And Thank I buy so a much. subscription because I did. Yes, yes, absolutely. Listen to this man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another uh, weekly news update. Um, I'm here with Reload founder Steve Gutowski. How are you this week, Steve? I'm doing all right, Jake. How are you? I'm doing all right. Um, some some crazy news this week uh, to lead yes, us off it's been here. A, been a busy week. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Um, another one. There, there was a uh, assassination attempt on a sitting Supreme Court justice that you wrote a, a story about. If you want to fill us in on on what happened. Yeah, the, a story that maybe not a lot of people have heard of at this point, which is kind of which bizarre. Is crazy, yeah. Right? And it, this was a, a, a an actual attempt to kidnap and assassinate uh, Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh. It happened on Wednesday morning. Um, and it's gotten, frankly, very little media coverage for some reason. Um, I, uh, you know, people can speculate as to why. I think one, one thing is that... Uh, <clears throat> the way this this uh, attempted assassin, <laughs> frankly, I mean, you know, it's, these are allegations. Obviously, he's uh, he's in custody and facing charges. But uh, according to an affidavit filed by the FBI, 
one of the things that may be dampering the media attention, I, I don't know, it's not really a good excuse, but he turned himself in eventually. Uh, but I think that what a lot of people are missing is that it's not as though he had this idea and then turned himself in and was never close to carrying it out. What happened was, according to this affidavit, he showed up at Brett Kavanaugh's house with a gun and a knife and a crowbar and a hammer and zip ties and a tactical vest. He was dressed all in black at one in the morning. Uh, and he approached the house and noticed that there were two uh, U.S. Marshals standing guard outside of it, which he then turned and walked away from the house. Now remember, this is all at one in the morning. It's not like he was touring the area or part of the protest groups that have actually continued to protest outside of his home even after this assassination attempt uh, unfolded yesterday uh, or uh, on Wednesday. It's yesterday. We're filming on Thursday. But yeah, he uh, then he went and, and turned himself in. In fact, he called the police and said that he was uh, had suicidal thoughts and wanted to was going to kill a Supreme Court justice. Right. And then once he got to uh, into police custody, he he waived all of his rights uh, and and basically explained everything to uh, the police officers and later to the FBI. Yeah, he was uh, amazingly forthright with the police that just arrested him for a pretty serious crime. Um, explained to them that he was motivated by the impending overturning of Roe v. Wade, as well as the potential, uh, what he called loosening of gun laws, obviously yeah. in reference to the New York state rifle and pistol case that we're awaiting a decision on about right. uh, New York's may issue carry standard. Um, so it's pretty remarkable that it's a, a, an ad admission that this was a politically motivated, um, almost hit essentially. <laughs> yeah. I Which mean, is, that's what it was. Yeah, it's pretty insane. <laughs> you know, at least according to police, right? You know, um, sure, sure. This is this is what is in the affidavit filed by an FBI agent with the court. He's been charged with uh, attempted kidnapping and murder of a Supreme Court justice, which is, I guess, a specific federal crime. Uh, I imagine that carries, I guess, more more time than just regular. Uh, attempted kidnapping and murder but either way um yeah he he was very much open in talking to the police about what his motives were according to this affidavit and yeah they were very he was explicit he said that he thought Kavanaugh would um be in favor of loosening gun restrictions uh and that's why he wanted to kill him the, you know he looked up his address online he said he said he wanted to give his life purpose, um, yeah. and so he decided he wanted to murder a Supreme Court justice. Um, and given the weapons he brought along, it sounds like it, he planned to do it in a fairly brutal manner Yeah, as well. So, uh, you know, he brought along a crowbar and a tactical knife, uh, Glock 17 that he had recently purchased for this express purpose. Um, and he flew across countries from California. And so he flew to Maryland. He took a, ca a taxi, apparently, to Kavanaugh's home after, you know, his, his home's been identified online by some of the people who have been protesting outside of it since the, the leaked draft of uh, the Dobbs decision, which is the, the one expected to overturn Roe v. Wade. Um, you know, since that was published, there have been people protesting outside of the Supreme Court justices' homes. And some people have posted their 
uh, you know, their home addresses, obviously. Right. And so that's how, uh, presumably that's how he found it. We, we don't know for sure. He found it on the internet, according to the affidavit, but, but, um, yeah, and that, that's what, that's what motivated me. I mean, he's very explicit upfront about his, his views and why he wanted to do this. He's a 26 yeah. year old, uh, man from, from California. It's yes, certainly a, a continuing escalation of what we're seeing in terms of uh, trying to influence the court. It starts with a leaked opinion. Then you see protests outside of sitting justices' house, homes. Um, and now you see an assassination attempt. Um, it's just a continual escalation in this yeah. overt politicization of the court. Um, obviously, controversial, contentious decisions are being heard. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how the court responds because they still have to release that Dobbs opinion. They still have to release the Bruin opinion. Um, mm -hmm. And all in the meantime, we're just seeing uh, crazier and crazier events from the general public. So we'll see how this develops. Yeah. I mean, it, it's not a good sign for no. our polity, right? Not for, right. for our country that, uh, you know, somebody wanted to murder Supreme Court justice over there. Uh, what they assume their ruling would be on Second Amendment cases. Um, I mean, it's just ratcheting up of the tension that we've seen over the last, you know, several years in the United States when it comes to uh, these contentious issues. And uh, luckily, he he was prevented from doing. It. I mean, luckily, those U.S. Marshals were there. To frankly, it seems like he very much was ready to go through with it. He, he, it's not as though he got to the airport and realized what he was doing was insane. He got to the house, saw that there were armed uh, law enforcement officials outside and then gave up, um, which again is uh, not, not an uncommon thing for somebody who uh, is um, carrying out an attack like that. Uh, you saw this, right. um, it, it, the, the hospital shooting that was recently where the, um, you know, the man murdered his doctor and, and three other people and, and killed himself as soon as he met police resistance. Um, right. And so, uh, you know, well, this guy luckily didn't, wasn't able to go through with his attack. He was discouraged once he saw this, the presence of security. But that's another interesting thing about the Supreme Court is there's a bill going through Congress to provide more security for uh, the Supreme Court justices. But these guys live in just sort of suburban areas uh, from you know the the images we've seen of the protests outside their home they're just in like a fairly normal suburb neighborhood and um sometimes they'll have like uniformed police standing outside on the lawn right. but it's not like the white house by any means right it's and, some secret uh, service detail yeah and you've seen supreme court justices who travel without uh, security details and have been robbed in the past uh, was it John Paul Stevens? I believe was robbed twice in the same year, uh, just a few years ago, uh, before before he retired. And um, yeah, I mean it's it's a little precarious the security of the Supreme Court justices. Although you know, I know it's it's at the very least. I, I don't recall if there have been Supreme Court justices assassinated in the past. There may have been, uh, but certainly it's been a very long time. Yeah. Right, um, and hopefully we don't get back to that era. We, we certainly the 1960s hadn't was an era of both um, rioting and political assassination, right? Uh, and you know, great social upheaval. Uh, hopefully, we're not moving into that time period again. Although crime is way up, we had rioting recently, and now we've had an attempted assassination plot that was almost carried out. 
Right. So I don't know. Hopefully we we can reverse course as a country and uh, stop going down this path because it's not a pretty one. Yeah, here, here. Um, changing gears just uh, just slightly. Um, yeah. We got a uh, pretty remarkable poll from Quinnipiac out, uh, I believe, yesterday uh, on the status yeah, of public support for an assault weapons ban. Um, and I think you're going to have a piece. By the time this comes out, you'll have a piece out about uh, what that yep. poll says. But if you want to give us a little flavor of what they, they uncovered about support for an assault weapons ban. Yeah, interestingly, uh, support for an assault weapons ban actually decreased in the aftermath of the Uvalde shooting. Uh, and and the Buffalo shooting and and the the hospital shooting that I uh, referenced earlier, but uh, it's now at its lowest point in the Quinnipiac poll since 2013, uh, at, with just a bare majority, 50% supporting uh, an assault weapons ban, uh, and I believe it's uh, 45% opposed, and 5% uh, didn't answer. But that's uh, really low numbers for that policy, and. Uh, seems to be a continuation of a, a recent trend. We've written about this in the past. I think you had a piece right. on the last Quinnipiac poll that asked this question last year. And um, the usually what you'll see, and the other questions in this poll show this phenomenon, but usually after a high-profile mass shooting, especially one as horrific as Uvalde was with the killing of 19 children and two teachers, Right. Uh, support for gun control increases uh, across the board on nearly all policies. Right. Um, with one exception that I'll get into in a second. But you did see that uh, with the other policies put forward in, in this poll. So uh, general support for stricter gun laws went up. It's now at 57 percent, which is still fairly low compared to um, compared to traditional um support for stricter gun laws, right. uh, you know, that you've seen even a couple of years back. So, and, and look, this is the very first poll that we're really getting, uh, digging into these issues in the wake of, of Uvalde. So it's, it's you can't take away too much from it. You know, it's, it's just one poll, right? We'll see if other polls match the, this finding, but, uh, but yeah, so you've seen an increase in general support for gun control. You've seen, an increase in support for universal background checks, which is up to is at 92%. I mean, it's that policy only, always polls really well. Right. Um, you had a piece on why that doesn't necessarily translate to actual laws being passed uh, right. or people being voted out of office for opposing universal background checks that people should check out uh, if they want to understand more about that. But, uh, you know, there's, there's other policies, even uh, raising the age of purchase for all guns to 21 pulled really well. Red flag laws pulled, uh, you know, in the 70 plus area and, and all those things increased uh, in this poll. But assault weapons ban did not. And the one other policy that doesn't tend to increase in the wake of uh, mass shootings, support for it doesn't go up is a total handgun ban. Right. That which which used to be popular back not that long ago in the 60s. Right. Yeah. And 60 percent supported it back then, which is mm -hmm. un, just unthinkable today just because of how ubiquitous handguns are and handgun ownership is even among people that aren't particularly fond of guns. Right. And now it's become something that you get maybe 18 or 19 percent support. Right. And most of these pollsters don't even bother asking the question anymore. And it gallops like the only one left asking about handgun bans. Uh, Quinnipiac doesn't, didn't even ask 
So uh, I don't know. Are we starting to see Sullivan's AR-15s become viewed by Americans in the same way as handguns are, uh, which is that they don't think they should be banned regardless of, of uh, what the, the circumstances are. Around. So, you know, because handguns are used more often in mass shootings and far more often in uh, murder overall than, right. than AR-15s or any kind of rifle. And uh, that still doesn't move the needle anymore in terms of the American public's desire to ban those firearms because they become, obviously they're also used by hundreds of millions of uh, law-abiding civilians for uh, their own self-defense. And uh, I don't know if that's, is that the way that AR-15s are moving now in terms of Americans' perception of them? Um, Again, just one poll, so. Right. I don't know. But there's some, like like you said, there's some evidence in the political realm because uh, mm-hmm. in the House pe- gun package that just passed, uh, there are several policies in there that, that passed ghost gun bans, uh, safe storage laws, magazine capacity restrictions, but you didn't see it. You saw an assault weapon, the raise, raising the age of purchase for an assault weapon to 21, but there was no assault weapon ban brought to the floor and voted on in that whole big package, um, even though it's a Democratic controlled chamber of Congress. So, you know, at least there's some political correlation to this where it's like, yeah, we'll pass some gun control, but we're not going to touch that issue. Yeah, certainly. And that's a change, right? If you're looking for an actual change in gun politics over the last 10 years, uh, that's, that's a clear one Yeah, that Democrats now do not support an assault weapons ban, uh, at least not uh, enough of them to get one through the democratically controlled house. Right. And certainly I'd be surprised to, if you got more than, I don't know, 40 votes for it in the Senate right. today, uh, you know, you can get more for an age restriction, which is what they did instead uh, in the House. But I mean, you you had you only got 220 votes. They couldn't they couldn't pass the magazine ban without help from a couple of uh, Republicans. Right. They only had 220 votes for the magazine ban. So. Imagine, you know, the uh, Sullivan's ban is probably even harder to get votes for. So right. if you can't get the, the Democratic caucus to support even uh, a magazine ban, now obviously most of them supported it, but the point here is that they they couldn't couldn't have passed it on their own. They didn't right. have 218 votes for it. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, that that's a legitimate, tangible change in gun politics, and it's moved uh, – in the direction of fewer restrictions, not more. So uh, that's interesting. And and if you look at the history of state level assault weapons bans, I don't believe there's been a new one since the nineties. If I remember correctly. No, you see Uh, like been extensions. Strength. Yeah. Extensions and strengthening amendments and what Mm -hmm. have you, but no, not off the top of my head. I can't think of it. No brand new ones. Right. Uh, since really the federal one went into effect in 94, uh, there might have been, you know, I might be a little fuzzy on the exact dates, there, but it's around that time period where most of the current assault weapons bans passed in places like California and Massachusetts, Maryland, uh, New York. Now, you know, all of those places have since uh, 
expanded their assault weapons bans, right, right, and made them more aggressive. But, but I don't, uh, I can't think of a single one that's been possibly put in place since that after time. Sandy Hook. I don't know. No, if they Connecticut had already had a ban. Okay, uh, on assault weapons, they ex- they ex- expanded it after Sandy Hook, but yeah, but uh, it was already in place. Um, and so, you know, uh, it's interesting to. I, I just think the era of the assault weapons ban is over. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's right. I think there's something to that where Americans, even though broad gun control, you know, more broadly might pull well. I think there's some sort of unrealized discomfort that many Americans have with total categorical bans of types of guns. Yeah. That's why you're seeing a coinciding cratering in support for handgun bans. You're also starting to see right. the assault weapons ban support drop. It's like, oh yeah, maybe we'll tinker around the edges and we'll, maybe we'll limit magazines, but categorical bans Americans are kind of uncomfortable with is yeah. the impression I get. I think that's absolutely true. And Americans tend to favor bans on people, individuals based on their behavior. Yeah. Right. And, and if you look in this Quinnipiac, uh, Quinnipiac poll, you'll also see that most Americans still blame uh, mental health issues for mass shootings rather than the availability of firearms. There's 40 percent say it's um, mental health issues, whereas only 19 percent say it's the availability of firearms. So, right. um, you know, there, there's uh, and there's a couple other fact family issues is like 11 uh, percent. and. Mm-hmm. Social media, ten percent from social media, yeah. Right. And entertainment is at like nine percent or whatever. So you like video games and and music and stuff that you hear occasionally. People try to blame, but uh, but most people think it's a mental health issue, or the plurality of people think it's mental health and not just how many guns are in the country. Uh, right. And in fact, in this poll, it shows people don't support limiting the number of guns in the country either. Right. Um, so uh, you know, it, it's it's interesting. Um, I just think it's a new era. And, and one of the big reasons that I think that there's less and less support for an assault weapons ban, both in polling and, you know, in practice is that there's just way more of them than there used to be. You know, yeah. there's, uh, it was estimated a couple of years ago, the national shooting sports foundation, that there are 18 million modern sporting rifles, which is kind of the industry term for you know, these are all kind of somewhat vague terms. Yeah. Assault weapons ban. What's an assault weapon, right? It's well, it varies from state to state, depending on you know places that have assault weapons bans. They have different definitions for what an assault weapon even is. So, right. um, you know, but modern sporting rifles is a similar concept where it's like AR-15s, AK-47s, and similar guns. Uh, I'm sure there's a specific definition that that the industry has for it, but but you get the the idea, there's about 18 million of those, which is a lot. Right. Uh, it's the most popular, the AR is the most popular rifle in the country. And you can tell every time you go into a gun store, there's a dozen different AR style firearms in most gun stores I've been in. Right. Uh, whereas there might only be uh, a couple of other uh, firearms for sale. Like it's just an incredibly popular gun. And a lot of people own them for legitimate reasons like home defense and target shooting and competitive shooting and and even hunting of uh, you know smaller uh, game uh, and you can hunt deer but it's not as popular for that because people tend to favor larger cartridges for that but anyway right the point is it's it's very popular now so it becomes much harder like handguns to just institute outright bans on it I think that's part of it 
but all right no i think that's that's right like you said it's only one poll it so is. we'll keep tabs on this and see how it changes it's one poll um, but it's definitely an interesting thing yeah to it's know. one poll but it's uh, one in a long longer line of reasons to think that the era is, yeah. is there's it's just over there's no more appetite for yeah. new assault weapons bans uh, but that's it for this week. Uh, if you want to get this podcast a day early or have a chance to appear on the show, which we need to do another member segment. We say this every week, but I need to actually <laughs> schedule one soon. Uh, I, I'm hoping to have uh, I've had a couple of members reach out. So we'll, we'll try to get uh, some of you guys on because I, I enjoy doing those episodes. But, uh, you know, you have to be a member to get that perk. So if you want to do that and get exclusive access to hundreds of uh, members only analysis pieces and stories, you should go over to the reload.com and, and buy a membership today. We have uh, monthly and, and yearly memberships. Uh, the yearly gives you effectively two months for free. Uh, so uh, check it out. And I mean, that's it for this week. We'll be back next week. <laughs>